if you were on a surfing holiday in Australia and suddenly realised you were in shark-infested waters, yeah. you would be thinking, I'm heading for the shore and I'm going to use the butterfly, butterfly technique. If See, you were it's on crazy. holiday in Australia and you were in shark-infested waters, would you eat a chocolate cake if it, if it appeared? Mm. You well, should really eat chocolate cake, yeah. If if you gave one of your closest friends a really hard time about his food eating habits, yeah, mm. but you don't eat any pudding whatsoever that involves chocolate, mm. would that not perhaps demonstrate a little bit of hypocrisy? Yeah. As, as, as my former boss Tony Evans said on Twitter the other day, let he was without sin cast the first can at a bus. <laughs> cast the first can at a bus. Modern twist there, like it, like it. Chocolate. Mm. He's not rising to the bait, is he? He's not at all. No. no. Have you been? No, have no, you no, been no. mocking me? Would you like? Sorry, I've been focusing on this excellent feedback from our wonderful listeners. Hugh, would you like a, uh, a chocolate, a chocolate cupcake? <laughs> no, thanks. That's very much been shared amongst the group because what? I am not a fan of any chocolate-related puddings. So, you're on need, a train. We need to establish <laughs> where you stand on chocolate, Ferris. So, you are on a long train journey from Stockport, it's more convenient than Piccadilly, to Exeter, which is a direct train. You can do that journey. It takes roughly six hours. Six or seven hours, yeah. Uh, it's quite a nice journey, though, towards Exeter. The bit through the Midlands is best forgotten. <laughs> what snacks do you buy? First of all, I have never done that journey, so couldn't tell you. Second of it's all... It's a hypothetical question. How long's all, the journey? Oh, Five hours? Six, seven hours. Seven, so you've got a good long journey. Second of all, I wouldn't buy snacks. I would buy some sort of sandwich-related okay, meal. Okay, you bought a sandwich, that's fine. So I'd buy what a sandwich. What sort of sandwich are you buying? Well, as we've discussed before, it'd have to be a lubricated sandwich. Okay. Yeah, you mocked Steve for that, but it turns out you don't eat chocolate pudding. Yeah. Uh, the I don't like tomatoes. That's weird, mm. but not eating chocolate-related desserts is somehow oh, acceptable. I, I want to establish how little chocolate Ferris eats, so this is hard for me. You've had your sandwich. That's got you through the first 45 minutes. <laughs> no, because I would have waited about four and a half hours because I have discipline, Rory. You, you want... It's got him as far as Shrewsbury, hasn't <laughs> it? Right, okay. We're in Shrewsbury. Oh, but then, but then the views take over and I've no need for food so sustenance. So you want snack at all? No. You wouldn't... That's remarkable. I don't. I, don't I, I actually, I, I would. I believe that he wouldn't snack. Would you? Yeah. Do, but you do you accept yeah. it? <laughs> I'm going to have to accept two very it. different things. I don't like it, but I'm going to have to accept it. Would, so, <laughs> Gemma, your your lovely wife. Ich lege nicht. A very good day today, reference Gemma, for people born after 1994, <laughs> I would normally laugh, but I'm I'm, I'm in the you, zone. You're in the zone. Thanks for thanks for joining in, Rory. Your your wonderful wife, Gemma. Famously loves chocolate and sweets. Uh, she does. Uh, she is going to the onboard shop on the on the train. <laughs> she comes back. Another hypothetical. With a bag of wine gums. <laughs> She'd send me. An, a bag of wine gums. A bag of wine gums. And a bag of chocolate buttons. Chocolate in its purest form. Mm-hmm. Which do you eat? I would err on the side of neither, but were you to force me, wine gums. Okay. Okay. This is this is a whole it's new. He'll probably eat his carrot sticks and do some sit-ups. That's probably what he'd do. Yeah. But no one else would you do that. You used an example of chocolate that is not a chocolate-based pudding. So you're asking me two different questions there. So this is what I'm trying to establish. Do you dislike chocolate? No, dislike chocolate, it? chocolate, cold and crunchy in bar form. Mm. I'm Cooked happy or chocolate in, or in sweet, sweet form. Mm-hmm. As in, I've got a lovely 
bunch of trays selection. Up. Okay, yeah, yeah. I will, I will uh, have that, but I will never really have a second. There's a lovely selection box from M&S at the moment, actually. I would recommend it. We had Thornton's Continental Selection. You're getting um, off the topic here. And, and I, again, I will have one or two of those, but and I'll very much enjoy them. But I will not. I will never like. be in a position where I want to gorge on chocolate. I don't ever fantasise or want to eat chocolate. The, if it's there, I will have one. The good news is that I'm no longer going to have to take any grief about right, right. not liking coleslaw. No, the two, thing, the mm. two things are on completely different levels. They're not. I'm massively consistent. You have about a third of all foods that you disregard. No, you are you are both inconsistent You're both wrong. and offensive. <laughs> Me and Dave Cadbury's are offended. Mm. He's looking down his nose at you. Yeah, Ron Bourneville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're gorging yourself on Toblerone. <laughs> this is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food, um, <laughs> which will uh, make everybody understand the conversation that we're having, are, are fairy cakes provided by Rory on account of the fact that we spent Sunday, three of us did, uh, in the company of Rory and his wonderful family, extended family, and Ed, who was baptised in a church in Yorkshire. And part of the celebrations included cake work afterwards, and we've got the leftovers, there, frankly. There is a lot of cake in the Smith Whittington household at the moment. But we all had a lovely day. Steve, of course, also the day before was on Match of the Day. Hooray! Again, Hooray! And had a chance to speak to Sean Dyche afterwards. I'm wondering if you brought up Rory. Uh, no, I, I didn't need to. I think he instinctively knew that Rory and I were friends because he was passive aggressive towards me throughout our mm. post-match interview. Hang on, this is a mis- this this is definitely a misrepresentation. Me and Sean Dyche are friends. I, I spoke to Sean Dyche just the week before last. Well, maybe you've mended your particular bridges with him, and now he's looking for uh, <laughs> all those associated. He's basically harvested the data of your friends yes. and used yes. that against all, you. all associates. Though have got to do their own groundwork. Can you remember one of the questions you asked Sean Dyche, and can you, Rory, answer it as Sean Dyche? No, wouldn't so that be... Go on, it go on. Because then, then go on. it looked like I am mocking a, a No, we're not mocking him. We're celebrating him. I'm retiring my Sean Dyche voice. Oh, why? Out of protest at Hugh's attitude. <laughs> oh, give it up, will you? <laughs> you snowflake. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, who had a fine beef roast dinner in a Yorkshire pub on Sunday, as has been discussed. Steve Wyeth, who had a fine beef roast dinner in a Yorkshire pub on Sunday. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who had a fine beef roast dinner in a bap <laughs> in a catering bus outside Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Go figure. You didn't even know that we were having turkey dinners no. and beef dinners, and yet you sent a picture mm. of your lunch, which was no, a no, hang on, dinner hang, on, hang on, hang on, beef dinner. I didn't choose it. The guy Dave, the caterer, excellent. Dave Cadbury. No, that's not Dave Cadbury. It's Dave Meat. <laughs> he was doing the food, and he said, "Do you want a big Sunday dinner?" And I said, "No, I can't. It's too big." He said, "A little one." I said, "No." And he said, "Do you want me to do one in a bap?" And I said, "Is that a thing?" And apparently. It's yeah. a thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've never heard of it. I've never. Why would you have a roast dinner in it? But he did. He managed to put. But then he gave me a roast beef one and a roast turkey one. <laughs> You're the talent. That's they've got to look after you. But it's just weird. Is that a northern thing a or a, where, where's a, that come from? A roast dinner. You were at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, just to qualify, the catering truck at Sky was open. The press room at Chelsea hadn't opened, so there wasn't food available. So I had a choice. I was difficult choice to so make, but I still would not have chosen roast dinner in a bat. That was thrust upon me. <laughs> right. Uh, at Setpiece Menu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Thanks for all your correspondence as ever, including this from Jan Wolf. He's back. The story so far, if you're just joining us, Jan is not happy with us using cricket language. Then he complained about us using words of three syllables, even though Jan's complaint contained a word which had four syllables. So the conversation continues. Subject line. 
A feud. Yes, let's have a feud. Body of email. What about, though? Your podcast tends to be quite excellent. Maybe praise Lawn Ball Sport Leipzig a bit. That always gets me angry. Of course, everybody coming to this conversation about Lawn Ball Sport Leipzig will know that Rasenball means Lawn Ball. Um, Jan avoiding using German vernacular as if to maybe prove a point to us that he doesn't need to. So anyone wants to praise Leipzig? Let's uh, let's enjoy this to and fro a little bit more with Jan. They've got some great players. <laughs> re- it's re- one of the fairy tale yeah. stories of European football in recent seasons, if... Investing a huge amount of money from a massive corporate sponsor is mm. the definition of a fairy tale. Leipzig is a, Leipzig is a really interesting story, and there, there is. I understand okay, why so many. If, German, if you're going to make a serious point, then we can we'll, I make a serious point? Only if it's quick. Uh, <laughs> and I understand why so many Germans are angry about it. I totally get it. Uh, although Ralph Rangnick is one of my favourite people in football, but he's the sporting director. He's the sporting director at Leipzig. But they are a good thing for German football in terms of the, the way that they potentially might lead to more competition at the top of it. Uh, there well, you go. Let's you have a feud about that. <laughs> feud about that. Jan, the ball is in your court. Do you like tennis vernacular? So from an angry German to an angry Dutchman, or more accurately, a disappointed Dutchman. Oh Our Dutch correspondent, Jupp, has got in touch. Remember, Rory, you nailed the pronunciation of his first name in a previous piece of correspondence. He was very pleased with that. Okay. Well, here's Jupp again. Dear SPM, he says, I regret to have to inform Hugh that he appears to be on a one-man mission to change one mispronunciation of Kevin De Bruyne's name to another. <gasps> the U-Y in his last name is another spelling of the more common vowel combination U-I, a sound that doesn't exist in the English language. The version Hugh has chosen sounds more like a double U, making it Kevin De Bruyne. I have included a link to a series of examples. Maybe Rory would like to give it a go, as he has previously correctly managed to pronounce one of the two vowel combinations in my name. With kind regards, Yup, whose uh, surname is S-M-E-T-S. Rory, if you'd like to have a go at it. S-M-E-T-S. Smates. Excellent. Two out of two from Yup. Is that right? Well, Yup, uh, every journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, so I followed Yup's link to the UI examples, and I will attempt via the excellent speaker in my laptop to play out what UI sounds like, and we'll all have a go, shall we? Are you ready? Oh. 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 One more like time. Ke- it's like Kenneth Williams, isn't it? <laughs> oh. It's a bit like Kenneth Williams, that. One more time. Oh. 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 Now put it into Kevin. the Belgian footballer's name. <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, oh, De Bruyne. nice. De Bru- Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Why are you doing it like a South African? <laughs> Maybe well, that helps. Well, that, Dutch yeah, is that linked to South Africa. Clever. Clever. Okay, now this is how <laughs> the player himself says his name. De Bruyne. De Bruyne. De Bruyne. Who thinks that I was right and you, a Dutchman, was actually yeah, Kevin, pushing the points a little bit too look, far? I think in this age of Brexit Britain, we can't start, start feuds with lots of people in different EU sovereign states. So I'm going to side with you upon this one. Are you? Yeah. Should we hear Kevin Sh- one more time? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Kevin De Bruyne on no, wait a minute. We're presuming the player knows how to pronounce his own name. <laughs> he <laughs> might not. He might be wrong. One more time, Kevin. De Bruyne. De Bruyne. No, it is, and the, the sound, but the sound, you're right, the sound is an er, De Bruyne. But that's different to... And what were you saying originally? De Bruyne, I was saying, because I've got it from him, I've got him from that, that actual piece of footage. I think you were saying De Bruyne. Who's won? Um, Liverpool 5-1 on average. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when Brian Moy used to call Juventus Juventus? <laughs> And do you remember that year when Barry Davis decided to say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? And he also said in the same year, Figu. 
Fidu. Which, of course, Fidu. is right yeah. as well. At setpiece menu and setpiece menu at gmail.com. Our subject today, to continue something of a theme that has developed over the last couple of minutes, also comes in a roundabout way via a complaint. Last week, do you remember, Rory said, I doubt we have any hardcore Madridistas listening. Before saying something that would no doubt disgruntle any hardcore Madridistas who might be listening. Well, this email is entitled Disgruntled Hardcore Madridista. Amazing. Amazing. And it comes from Juan Fernandez. Just a few quick points from the last pod, he says. His first, actually, I will summarise and paraphrase to say that it wasn't Ronaldo missing five matches in the early part of the season that has led to Real being out of the title race. Well, Juan, to quote our Rory, correlation does not necessarily imply causation. But fair enough, there are many contributing factors to that. He goes on. Secondly, Madrid don't really shove 11 brilliant players on the pitch and see what happens. While I understand how the comment was intended, it's important to point out that Marcelo, Ramos, Varane, Modric, Casemiro, Ronaldo, Benzema, Bale, Isco, Carvajal have all been there five years or more. That's incredible continuity for a Madrid team that's considered volatile. I feel that the recruitment of Teo, Asensio, Vallejo, Ceballos have all been well-planned additions for a future Madrid with Vasquez, Cruz and Cruz. You see? Get it right. And Kovacic, uh, excellent additions for medium to long term with instant impact since arriving. Finally, the best comparison of Zidane is not Harry Redknapp. Uh, Again, mea culpa from Rory with his facial expression there. Is it Harry Redknapp? (laughs) Harry Redknapp. (laughs) Zidane's vision of football is built around, he doesn't say that, I did, uh, pragmatism and balance. That might not be the sexy approach that Pep has, but Pep is so in love with his own philosophy, he wouldn't even consider any other way to win, nor how to get the best from his players' talents, etc. Case in point is that as Ronaldo has been in decline, if you can consider it a decline, but at least physically, Madrid have had their most fruitful years. When I consider Zidane in terms of being a good tactician or not, I consider that apart from the Barcelona game before Christmas, and even then bad execution might have been the case, he's rarely set us up poorly in a big game and we've rarely been outclassed. Although I will say some close contests have been separated by the fact that we move the ball and transition with great accuracy and punish teams relentlessly, as Alessandro Del Piero said after Madrid beat Juve 3-0 in the first leg of their Champions League quarterfinal. Madrid are just the beneficiaries of the first bit of continuity they've had in a long time, while other teams may have been in transition. Zidane is not unlike Ancelotti, and minus a stint with Rafa, you might nearly consider to be a continuous run stylistically. Excellent players don't need to be coached to death, in my opinion. Clearly, you need mechanisms to win, but far more important than that is creating a unit where players understand their role and execute accordingly. If nothing else, Zidane has stripped back Madrid to an efficient machine that is designed to control games and create the clearest chances. But that's just my opinion. He says in a slightly defeatist ending to an excellent email from Juan, who's from Dublin, obviously. Uh, But Juan's email prompts this question. How do we rate managerial success? Do we underestimate the likes of Zidane because there's no clear philosophy with which to identify his football? There may well be a Zidane way... But it's either too simple or even too subtle for us to see when we compare him to the Pep way or the Pulis way. Both overt styles, easy to spot. On the other hand, some would have you believe that Pep Guardiola needs to be successful with bad players in a bad league to show that he's really as good as we or he thinks he is. He's not a manager until he's won the conference. Exactly. So are those managers who (laughs) continually get teams promoted or survive in spite of their lack of means really the ones that we should be crowing about? So how do we rate managerial success? So I'm, first of all, was it Juan Fernandez? Juan Fernandez. He's not, that's not the type of hardcore Madri- Madri- Madridista I was talking about. Just he seems like a really reasonable, eligible man. Cue <laughs> ta- other hardcore Madridistas. The type of hardcore, and this doesn't just apply to Madrid, it's just that I had a bad experience with some of them earlier this year, is the type of fan who, if you say anything that's not 
sort of lavish praise immediately calls you a puta and tells you that you should be killed. That's the type of fan I was, I was worried about annoying. But he's, it's a really interesting subject because, and I'm going to, as a journalist should, bow to what people in football say. There is a, there is a feeling that Zidane is what the Spanish call an entrenador de palmas, which is basically that he stands on the touchline and goes, you've won a corner, well done, good goal. And that's his contribution. <laughs> and I think that might be because we are in an era where, like we talk, we've talked after Chinch's one content contribution about the era of the superstar. You don't have to say it like that. We, I did. The, um, the, sorry, Chinch, don't look so heartbroken. I'm heartbroken. Oh, come on. I what a creative now. mind. You he needs that. an entrenador to make sure that you carry on with your point. Good idea. Really good idea. People Chinch. really good enjoyed idea. your subject idea, Chinch. We've had lots of positive feedback, lots of compliments. Okay, it's patronising the way forward. They would like you. Why don't you just wear a hat with patronising written on it? They would like you to perhaps contribute a little bit more often. If you wouldn't mind. No, it's put me in a Anyway, carry on. Benchmark. You've made a rod for your own back. The Rod Bourneville. Rod Bourneville. The, no, but it's, we, we, what we definitely live, we live in the age of kind of the, the superstar coach where we have bestowed upon these managers these sort of grand visionary qualities and we fall in love with, and we've been sort of football culture as a whole, the media fans, with the people who talk about philosophy and the people who talk about this is my vision, this is my way, so Marcello Bielsa has this cult following, people like Sarri at Napoli build up this kind of... It's not. It, it's almost not just about winning football matches. It's mm-hmm. about it's some great artistic expression, and we we Guardiola obviously being the best example, but Pochettino and Klopp are, are all part of that as well. And we kind of, I, th- I think it's just we we want football not to be chaotic. I think as fans and as journalists, we want there to be something to be a narrative thread running through it. We we want it to be subject to reason. Effectively, we want to think there is someone out here who can solve this. So it's ordered and there's control. So it's ordered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of think in, when we go to a football match, we're not thinking. Well, basically, 90 minutes of stuff's going to happen. It's going to be really weird and anything. You know, it, and mm-hmm. no there's one's no plan idea. Yeah. We want to think someone is in charge of this. Someone has agency over this, so that we can a ascribe credit, b make predictions, and c ascribe blame. And I think that's quite important. Um, and that's led to this cult of the manager, where the manager is these grand, sort of sweeping philosophical figures. And Zidane, and this is a compliment, is the complete opposite. And I agree with, with what Juan said, that Zidane's not a great tactician, but he doesn't need to be, because the, the tactics isn't the only way to win football matches. It's what Zidane has done is construct a unit that functions well, given the parts available to it. And that, that is the art of management. So when I, compare, when I compared him to Redknapp, it wasn't entirely an insult, because Harry Redknapp is not going to go on mastermind. He's not the brain of Britain. He is not a sophisticated tactician. But Harry Redknapp did have, at his peak, an inherent, innate understanding of, of the balance of a team. And if you look at his Spurs teams, you, they weren't playing any, any sort of great, sort of subtle kind of, oh, he shifted from a 3-4-3 to a 3-5-2 and no one noticed. He, you know, he wasn't one of the great minds of his era, but he understood how to make a team function really well. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why he had such a long career in management. That and Nico Crankia. The, <laughs> the, um, At every club. <laughs> he's really suffering without him. The, and I think Zidane is cut from that cloth. I think he just kind of understands how to make sure a team's balance is right in different circumstances. And that's a real gift. But because it doesn't look like a philosophy, I think we do underrate it. So do we, it's, you, you pick a P 
philosophy mm. or pragmatism. Mm. There are those who decide to build their footballing philosophy and there are those that decide to eschew the philosophy in order to simplify and in a pragmatic way find a way to win and that doesn't have to necessarily follow any mm. path or any rules or any preset predetermined ideological beliefs that they have so where it. would Brian Clough say sit in or do we have to say well we can't judge Zidane against coaches Alf Ramsey Brian, we, we can't we can't go across the ages and say it's the same and we should judge all coaches in the same way because football's changed. I presume coaching, managing has changed. So do we have to be very specific about an era of football we're talking about here, the last 20 years, or can we go back and compare Clough to Guardiola? Put, put, put Clough in that. Is, is Clough a pragmatist? Yeah, that's what it's or a, a philosopher. Yeah. philosopher. Mm. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't really know enough, enough about mm. Clough to have a a fully informed opinion. I don't know. Is, is, mm. is Clough more Mourinho? Because he finds, he found a way to win and a, lo- a lot of it was due to man management techniques. Well, actually, we don't know because the study wasn't probably around yeah. at that time, was it? They, he just did what he did and people probably didn't look as in-depth as they do now and people but have hear, to have a philosophy or pragmatism because like people say, so what's your style? And people have to have an answer to that. Whereas back then they didn't. He just yeah. did what he did and people just watched the but games. It was, was hard-working wingers. Yeah, Clough had, Clough yeah, had yeah. a hard-working yeah. way. It was on the floor. He, it was on the floor. He would find ways of um, motivating his players, mm-hmm. sometimes unconventional ways of motivating his players. But his so, team was very... The team unit was incredibly... To win leagues and, and they, to win European Cup, incredibly tough, strong. Yes. Know, signed Dave McKay at Derby, that sort of thing. It's a very strong team ethic he had as well. Because he didn't have all the best players necessarily. Imagine it wasn't... He couldn't he, buy and he sell had, players, he as we talked about now. Though, He did, absolutely. But again, they amalgamated them into a really strong... Because so, he yeah. was the biggest yeah. character. But it's just a time... It's, it, do we it's have really, to look? It's a really good point. I don't know the answer. Because if we that. consider over the last fifty, who are we? Who, how many would, would we bring into the? How many coaches would we talk about? Fifty? Would there be more than that? And then you say, well, can we? Is it fair to judge them all as a bunch and say, well, what makes success? Because it has I changed, doesn't it? It's, in, it's intriguing to judge the managers of years gone by who weren't facing the same sort of levels of analysis. Yes, um, yeah. and perhaps weren't able to or never were asked to give us the kind of insight mm-hmm. that managers are now to compare them to those managers now mm-hmm. bearing in mind or did the they have it or did they not need spotlight it? that they get yeah did, did they ever have it or so whether if you ask the question if you could go back and ask them the question would they have a philosophy would that be how they coached and how they viewed the game we, we put managers on a pedestal on the basis of their achievements but, but perhaps they're just a cog within the the operation of the the football club like like anybody else mm-hmm. And it's finding the right manager for the right group of players at the right time. Mm-hmm. Would Sir Alex Ferguson have had the success at Manchester United that he had if he didn't effectively get handed a, a, an exceptional group of young players at the very start of his tenure who would go on to be the, you know, the, the fundamental cornerstones of that yeah. team for the next 15 years? Mm. Um, or would that generation not have come through if Ferdy hadn't been there and prepared to play? Very possibly, yeah. 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 They're the still right managing them, but they have to manage them as exactly. well. Exactly, it's the right well. combination. You know, another, yeah. another manager might not have been able to keep that group of players together mm. and they, they may have had their heads turned by offers from elsewhere. So it's the right manager, the right group of players, mm. the right club ethos all coming together at, at, the, at, the, at the same time. And, and perhaps that's what we're seeing with Zidane who I heard Ramon Calderon speaking very recently ahead of the first leg between Real Madrid and Juventus about whether Max Allegri, the Juventus coach, was a potential future Real Madrid coach. And he made the point, Ramon Calderon, the former Real Madrid president, that you've got to admire Zidane's longevity on 
the Real Madrid bench, mm. as he described it. He was talking about it being a very difficult bench on which to survive for any sort of prolonged yeah. period of time. And Jose Mourinho is currently slightly ahead of Zidane in terms of how long he's he's been a, was was the manager. But but Zidane could arguably be Real Madrid's longest serving head coach since Vincenzo Del Bosque, which mm. would be a remarkable achievement considering the lack of supposed lack of top flight experience he had before he took over. But perhaps the the group of players that that were at the club when he took over were able to admire what he achieved in the game. And he, he's got enough tactical nows to get the, the best out of those players on a game-by-game game basis without being of the Jose Mourinho style or the Pep Guardiola style of manager who, who feels he, he wants to impose his tactical thought processes on a group of players, whether, whether that's the right approach for them or not. So yeah. I think he deserves it. He, he doesn't get the credit perhaps he deserves for tactical innovation because as we've discussed it's not clear to see but there was one little detail from the first leg of that Real Madrid-Juventus tie which really fascinated me and it was on the, the two occasions that Juventus had a free kick on the very edge of the penalty area Real Madrid lined up their wall and then do you remember seeing Marcelo crouch down mm. behind the wall to counteract the, the possibility of Dybala sending one of those skidding Chabi Alonso style free kicks Mm. underneath a a leaping wall Mm. and I thought that sort of attention to detail is admirable it might have been one of the players that thought of it Mm. but you've got to think that that was the the, the kind of little little details that Zidane brings to the table in terms of preparing his team well so yeah I mean it would have been one of the players that thought of that might be Marcello the greatest transfer of all time who thought of it um eight million dollars Ten years ago, for the best left back in the world, is the best transfer of all time, and I would love to find a better pound for pound one. Maybe that's another pod. That's another pod. The anyway, <laughs> but it, Zidane has definitely organic, so organic. You right? get great pound for pound football transfers. I like you, you get the impression that Zidane has has created and fostered an environment in which the players feel empowered to do that, and that's to his credit. But what you, what you touched on with that, with with things like that, that attention to detail, those little match situations. I think Zidane is really good in those situations as a manager, and. Kind of what I was getting at earlier is that we, we've, in, because of this cult of the, the superstar tactician, the visionary philosopher, the Guardio, sort of Guardiolaism, if you like, the, we overlook mm. that there are other elements and other yeah, ways absolutely. of managing. Yeah. So you don't have to be a great tactician, just as you don't have to be a great man manager. Rafa Benitez wasn't a great man manager, but he's won a European Cup because he was a great tactician. He can be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Redknapp had a great career, and again, this isn't, Harry Redknapp's kind of legacy has been soiled somewhat. Because his dad had a bank account, the the um, but he, he you know he had a thirty year managerial career like you can't call him a failure just because he's kind of an idiot. But the um, you know he wasn't. You started great ta- so well. You started so well. He was a great he was a great man manager, but not a great tactician, and that's fine. But and I think w- if you look at Zidane, he doesn't have an overarching philosophy of this is my way and this is how we play. But at other elements of management, he's really good. His substitutions against in the two legs against PSG were fantastic. He changed the, the nature of the game by removing substitutes. Oh, sorry. He changed the nature of the game by just tweaking his system or altering one part or what have you. And that's a really important facet of management that, we, that a lot of modern managers are not very good at. Jurgen Klopp is not a particularly good substitutor. And for all his obvious strengths, his substitutions aren't brilliant. Pochettino's substitutions are a bit Which wasn't Rafa criticised for never never making a substitution until 60, 65 yeah. minutes. But of course, in the 2005 final, changed he half-time. changed yeah. at half-time. Yeah, so Benitez perhaps. I think there's a, there was a, it's a different level of manager, but Roy Hodgson, 
in Palace's sort of run of recent games hasn't made changes before like the 80th minute or something and, and that is clearly why they are losing games later on because they're knackered and he's not changing it substitutions are really important it's kind of the basic facet of management and Zidane's really good at it he he knows he has that that instinctive feel of this is what is happening in this game I need to alter it slightly and that's that's great management but because it's not something that we in the media and we as fans can can say this is this is the solution to football it gets overlooked, and I think that's where managers like Zidane get really shortchanged. Is that not then a clarity of thought thing? That if you're not allowing yourself to be bogged down by some kind of overarching philosophy to which you must adhere and to which you must you know, impose on your players, that if, like Zidane, you're perhaps able to, to step back a little bit, quite a quiet presence in the technical area he's not a ranter and a raver is he he, he does station himself within the technical area for you yeah for you claps okay but maybe he's that gives him that that clarity to be able to see where positional changes or alterations of individual players can have a big impact on the game because he's not allowing himself to be overly bogged down by mm. by the minutiae of the detail well surely you have to play to your strengths but is the problem going to be for up-and-coming coaches and clubs as well, do they feel that all coaches have to be in the Guardiola mode? You have to have a philosophy. You have to be this type of coach. As a club, this is what we want. And do the coaches coming into the game think, I've got to be that way because Jurgen Klopp's like that, because Pochettino's like that, because Mourinho's like that. So, yeah, they all have this idea. Sometimes you, you don't necessarily need to be... Look at Neil Harris, Neil Warnock in the Championship, doing incredible jobs... And I'm sure Millwall haven't got this, wait a minute, Neil, we need an overriding philosophy about how we just want to win games. So maybe actually playing to your strengths and the club saying, we want you to manage us because we think you're very good at this and this. Yeah. We don't need all the pull blue around it and saying we've got this idea, we've got this project, we've got this philosophy. Just get on with doing a good job. It's you can do it in many different ways. That's what you're saying. It's partly the, kind of the management jargonification of football. So I remember going to Southampton, seeing the bid wall at Staplewood, the training ground, and it's the Southampton way. And you think, well, there's an Ajax way. And, you know, Didn't you go to Norwich? And wasn't there a Norwich way? Then, well? then you see one at Norwich, and it wasn't Norwich where they're getting relegated. Do you, remember, do you remember? The Norwich way do remember, is down. Do you remember Dave Hockaday, who managed yeah, yeah, the Chilino, yes. came in and managed? That. I remember speaking to him before a game they played at Bradford, big game, and they were playing a midfield diamond. We thought so. We had a chat with him before the game and said, "Dave, DH, are you playing a, a midfield diamond?" And he said. It could be a, a flexible diamond today. And I thought, what are you talking about? You, that's just ridiculous. And I looked at him. I'm no coach, but no. you're talking. <laughs> but you're talking cobblers. It could be a wobbly floating diamond. <laughs> right. Thanks, Dave. You just got beat four 0 You so, really know what you're doing. So th- that 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 is a, an example of somebody creating artifice in yes. order yes. in yes. order to yes. pr- pr- appear at least self-important to have a footballing yeah, yeah, philosophy. This, ha- yeah. this has happened in, in countless spheres of life where it, jargon and buzzwords and all that nonsense happens in the media has taken has taken over, and you have to kind of sound like you're part of yes. that in group so we yeah, get annoyed when people yeah. are, are playing in a position which everybody assumes are false nines and are not you say they're just a rubbish striker yeah. false and nine, I, I say they're, 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 not, they're not even there they're not even playing in that position but you'd, you'd hear it constantly oh he's a false nine no he's not he's just a small man playing up front yes, it's exactly. not the same thing he's, he's playing same in a ring, position that it? makes him a striker but then I, I, did, I did describe Roberto Firmino as a nine and a half at one point so I'm probably not in a position <laughs> he was without saying it cast a first can at a bus the, no but the what Chinch said yeah what did I say about Hockaday before Hockaday 
about, about clubs philosophy yeah. is it is that the model that clubs we, want is that what aspiring on, coaches feel they've got to as well as they've got to do yeah <laughs> we touched on this in a previous episode about in your 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 content suggestion i think what what's ironic is that at the level level just below the top and all the way down you you probably it is in your interest to have a coach with an enduring vision or even better to have a sporting director or a technical director someone like that with a vision of where the club is going and a coach who, coaches who kind of that's like, Huddersfield do that Norwich, Norwich Norwich yeah. are trying to do that for, as well for yeah. Norwich yeah. Stuart Webber yeah. but at places like Real Madrid and PSG mm-hmm. you need the Zidane coach who can tweak things who can affect things but doesn't have the ego effectively to say we have to play my way because what's important is the way A, the club plays and B, the way the superstar players play. So it's like, a, it's like an in-game coach. Exactly. And yeah. This, yeah. this again goes back to the Chinch content suggestion, the CCS, um, which was, <laughs> and, and it kind of ties in nicely, this, this cult of personality that we're talking about players yeah. on the last show, yeah. we're now talking about the cult of personality that involves managers and how they then dovetail with the cult of personality yeah. of players. So sometimes it's hard to have the cult of both personalities. Yes. You can't. Or the C-O-B-Ps. You can't have it, but you, you can't, can't have So that's why you need a Zidane, and that's why Guardiola will not buy players like Real Madrid will. Exactly. I wanted to mention... Do you need the toilet, Steve? Steve or do you have you got a point to make? Sorry, it's, was, was oh. my hand down my trousers? <laughs> <laughs> um, it is my job to bring in Steve, but he completely <laughs> superseded that by just putting his hand up. I wanted to bring up Guardiola, because if we go back a, a year or so, we, we discussed the the merits of the impact that Antonio Conte was having on Chelsea on their way to winning the, the Premier League. And that we felt that perhaps Guardiola's first season at Manchester City, he'd overcomplicated things, tried to do too much, too soon, too often, and the players had never settled into a rhythm of being able to win games. And that we, what we admired at that time about Antonio Conte is he'd made his mind up at the start of the season how best it was, or in the very early weeks of the season, how best it was that Chelsea were going to play and use that system for a majority of the season and they, they won the Premier League. Whereas obviously now with the benefit of the hindsight, we can see, well, over a longer period of time, Guardiola's outlook has worked and City will, will win the Premier League quite comfortably in his second season in charge. But what we saw with him ahead of the Liverpool Champions League quarterfinal ties was that actually he started messing around a little bit. He made alterations ahead of the which, biggest game which of the season, before. which he's done before, and it backfired. Mm. They lost heavily at Anfield, and then he made changes again. I, I, I understand when the team sheet came out at, at the Etihad ahead of the second leg that a lot of people were looking at the team sheet and w- were finding it quite difficult to work out exactly what sort of formation he well, was playing. Well, standard, standard Bielsa 3-1-3-3. <laughs> With the benefit of hindsight, Hugh was able to... Uh, call to, to it, give, call it, did he? Call it, call call it, it the time. So, so, but obviously he then, then, in a sort of reactionary way, had to, to make a bold move to try and turn the tie around. So we, we've sort of praised Zidane for not tinkering and for having a, this uh, you know overarching look at his team and, and as a general rule Guardiola has done that in, over the course of the last season but then when it counted most he always couldn't resist the temptation yeah. of trying to come up with something a little bit fresh and yeah. he did the same when he was at Bayern Munich as well um, particularly Real Madrid he kind of second he second guesses himself on occasion I think he would admit and often makes the wrong decision in attempting to make the right but different decision. That And, and also there, there have been times when he's been fairly pragmatic um, just in in his defence with kind of it's very easy to undermine the philosophy of managers but there has been occasions where he's realised that a team's weakness is 
A, and so to counteract that would be to play in a way that doesn't necessarily conform to his footballing philosophy and style. So mm. there have been occasions where he's thought, right, the best way to beat the press is to sm- smash it up mm. to whoever's up there, up front. And so that can sometimes... Can I just ask, what, what was the point of this pod again? What was the, what was the overriding question at the beginning? Was it How success, do we gauge success, managerial success? Success, managerial success. But we're, we're dissecting coaching methods, aren't we? Have we talked about As in, do we, what is no, success? Do you want something what, more what, tangible? No, what, yeah, what is, all, all this is great, and we're talking yeah. about all these coaches Thanks. and how they do it, but what do we... <laughs> that sounds like a it's, chinch it's content been, suggestion. It's been like a really well-padded sofa, <laughs> but now we're getting to the, the top to layer. We need to sit on it. What is, <laughs> so what what is, what is the, how do we gauge it? Come you're on. unhappy that we've we've sort of dismantled the the aspects of the the decision yes. you'd really like to see is put them back together now. Yeah, and and, and say what do we consider well, success to be? Okay, so you mentioned Neil Harris. I did. Who got Millwall promoted through the playoffs from the third tier to the second tier? He did, and may well, Take may well the Premier League. do the same. Gets back to back promotions. Mm. Next big job in the Premier League comes up. Right, we we know he's not. We know he's not getting it. Yeah. We've had that mm. conversation before. Are we equally sneering of the idea that Pep Guardiola? should have a crack at third-tier football and see if he can get a Millwall promoted and that will be what absolutely confirms his status as one of the great football coaches of all time. I would say that the logic that Pep Guardiola has to turn his life into a version of Championship Manager and take Doncaster to the Champions League to be considered legitimate is arguably the stupidest logic in all of football. But Okay, why? Because Pep Guardiola's job is not to get Doncaster into the the Champions League. Pep Guardiola's job is to get top-class footballers playing top-class football. That is a difference, to me anyway, and I'm not directing this at you. Just no, I know. You I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking you're being the devil's advocate. Yeah. It's, it's a different skill set. So you can't say, well, Pep, Pep's success doesn't count until he's taken Doncaster into the Champions League. What Pep has done at every club he's been at is go there, improve players, sign players, and then improve them, and improve the team to the extent that they have played some of the most... City have played some of the best football we've seen in the Premier League. Barcelona, between 2009 and 2012, played some of the best football we have seen ever. And Bayern Munich dominated in Germany, fell short in the Champions League. But again, playing wonderful football. He he has left a legacy at all three of those clubs already with City that will endure beyond his reign. He meets every single marker that that he has to to be a success. Whether he could take Doncaster into the Champions League is moot just as it's moot to say that Neil Harris probably couldn't get Man City playing the football that Pep Guardiola has because they are doing different jobs with different skill sets and different requirements but how big is the gulf between Guardiola's success completely agree and Neil Harris's success say getting Millwall to the Premier League is it there's, there's no comparison. But it's, it's, no happened, comparison. it's happened twice Dif- before different coaches different clubs different scenarios Paul Lambert it, did it with Norwich yeah uh, uh, Nigel Atkins did it with Southampton mm. back-to-back promotions mm. got them into the Premier League those two one is potentially getting relegated with Stoke mm. and the other is at Hull so look at the success the two success stories but, but Steve how, how started far apart this conversation by saying it could be of the moment yeah. a manager's success of a moment at the right club the right time the right players the right owner bringing in enough money yeah. to be able to bolster that that charge for success but Success surely should be for a manager to be able to prove that they can do it in more than one club, no, in success, more than one set of success circumstances. For a manager is, years. Is, success for a manager in isolation is, is outperforming their resources. That is, that is yeah. success. So yeah. if, you're, if you're Neil Harris and you get uh, Millwall promoted from, from 
the third tier to the second tier and then into the playoffs in to go into the Premier League, that's incredible success. Of course it is. If you're Pep Guardiola and you get Man City to third place in the Premier League playing half-decent football, that is not success. If you're Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola and you get Manchester City to 13 points clear in the Premier League playing wonderful football, that is success. Does he... For all that his resources are gargantuan, he is still, to some extent, at least delivering on those resources, if not outperforming them because of the style of the football. Mm. Okay, I would take issue on whether Pep Guardiola is outperforming his resources. Yeah, it's difficult. Yes. Yeah, you, you, yes. that's, it, that's probably a different debate, isn't it? Whether he's outperforming. Because would you but see this season as a huge? It is a huge step forward for, for City. But winning the League Cup and the Premier League, falling flat in the Champions, consi- will he consider this season to be? A stepping stone or a, a successful season that will lead to more and more success. That, that's why, is winning, that what he, how he will see? That's, that's a really di- a really difficult question. But by, by will he be disappointed? Th- they'll be so disappointed. He won't think about it now, and it'll be a, a benefit of hindsight. But that's why not winning the derby when they could have won the league by beating Manchester yeah. United was will prove to be a whether whether it should be or shouldn't be will prove to be a very difficult thing to overcome because mm. in going out of the Champions League in winning only the trophies that Pellegrini uh, Pellegrini did in 2014 mm-hmm. in doing that there needed to be a cherry on top of that mm. cake and beating Manchester United not only in that match mm. to win the league but also the records that Manchester United now still hold about the earliest yes, and probably yes, the yes, points differential yes. as well at the end of the season yeah. which will probably be this Manchester United yeah. record as well mm. all those things most of those things won't happen now mm. and it's all very well that happening before the second leg of the Liverpool game when there was a chance that they might continue in the Champions League via an incredible comeback but kind of reality and logic dictated that that wasn't going to happen you had to almost predict that that wasn't going to happen and make sure that that did so that you could look back on that once in a generation moment mm-hmm. of Manchester City beating Manchester United to win the league and break Manchester United's records at the same time so there will be a, a huge gloss yeah. that has been taken off what could have been an incredible season but is now mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. a very good season yeah, and that, that. Will, that will have that will have that those who like to criticise and say that he's got a lot of money so he should be winning the league by 20 fraud. points that yeah. you know it will give them a little bit of currency but there are other managers who have incredible wealth. The, the other person we should talk about in this is Jose Mourinho, who has waged a war against the expectations that he feels are too high mm. on him and his team uh, so far this season. So what's success for Jose Mourinho? Because he seems to be suggesting that success is exactly what he's doing, because yeah. even though he spent nearly as much as Manchester City in the summer, that he should not be expected or held, held to the same standards mm. Mm. because his team was worse before he started spending that yeah. money. So again, if managers are setting their own parameters, it's very difficult for us to see through and, and judge what success is. Well, in, in fact, of, of all, and this shouldn't turn into a top six discussion, but of the top six this season, the big six in the Premier League, who would you say has had unquestionably a successful season if we take the definition of success to be outperforming your resources? And in fact, I'll extend that to include the, the big five in Europe as well. Well, in the Premier League, you'd go Pochettino at Spurs. Yeah, Spurs. Top four, top four finish. Is that yeah? But, in, in, yeah but if you're talking yeah. about the, the the resources available, if you lined the clubs mm. up in order of resources yep. available, Tottenham mm. will finish Above, higher yep. higher yeah. than than their designated position. Um, you'd probably say Liverpool as well if they continue on the Champions League. Tottenham definitely if they go on to win the FA Cup, which at the time of recording mm. it's April. But you're, uh, you're gone, gone to form with Bayern. Bayern have won the league. Right. Barcelona. But I suppose if Bayern or Real win the Champions League, you, you probably have to say that, that that's at the output. Winning the Champions League surely has to count as success. Regardless of where you think, yeah. yeah. 
Um, if one of those win the Champions League, Roma, obviously, I suppose you have to say, are outperforming expectations. Um, Juve will win Serie A as they should by but have seen them, the margin of dominance reduced, reduced yeah. and have, have been under, under pressure I mean if, if you just looked at uh, the domestic leagues I mean Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane have wildly underperformed yeah, exactly. this season but that would be off Liverpool, li- Liverpool I, I, that's surely Liverpool I would have thought they, they to get top four and get the semi-finals yeah, absolutely the yes yeah. and they, they could yet win the Champions League which would would be incredible with the team they've got. not that it's a poor team but it's still not a team that you would expect to no. win the Champions League so no, Liverpool maybe might just and they don't have to play Sevilla so they'll be fine yeah. absolutely <laughs> but the, and I think that's, that is a relevant discussion because what counter success changes at the very top and that's really yeah. that's really important to remember that that you have to do an awful lot to be there will be people listening to this and we know that our audience are sophisticates and highly highly educated and very reasonable people like Juan Fernandez who started this all off mm. um, but there'll be people screaming and saying no that they, that team's not had success this team definitely has had success blah 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 but at that level it's almost it's probably impossible short of winning the Champions League to to find a sort of a unified view on what is successful yeah. Manchester City could win the Premier League by 13-15 points surely that's a successful season but it, it doesn't feel like it but you have to look at the club that's achieving yeah. what it's achieving and how, how it's achieving it and then say, well, is Millwall's achievement of getting to the Premier League better than City, City winning the league. league by 13 points when you, when you take all the considerations of the two clubs? That, and that's a great debate. But yeah. I, would, I would actually, and this isn't a, me having a go at you, Chinch. It is, probably. It's probably, probably, probably a failed. But I'd put the knife down, by the I'm way. I'm not sure why we have to compare because, and that's part of the problem. That's where this... this this logic about Guardiola or whoever or Mourinho has to prove that they can do it with Yeovil before they before they can be counted to who said this it's a kind of long-standing yeah. theory I've about Guardiola that until he the theory is that Guardiola's always had the best players yeah. available yeah. and that that in some way detracts from his achievements because mm-hmm. anybody could do that with those players but we've seen that time and time and time again at big clubs that that's not true how many times have Real Madrid failed during the Galactico period because yeah. they haven't had the right Turns meshing out if you, if you of player and coach. Van der Luxemburgo in charge of the Real Madrid squad, they don't win the Champions League. Who'd have thought it? Mm. And it's we, we've seen it a million times that you can't just take Neil Warnock mm. and put him at Barcelona and say, well, these are the best players in the world because you need someone who can motivate... Which is an argument together. that Sam yeah. Allardyce has made in the yeah. past, saying, yeah. you give me those, uh, those teams, those players, I wouldn't be the perennial fighting against relegation guy. I'd be the winning the Champions but League he guy. Wouldn't. He'd be the or finish- if his name was Sam Allardyce. He would be the finishing eighth unexpectedly die because the players wouldn't respect his methods that's the that's that's the big thing that and you know this change you were a footballer yes, yes. If, thanks if we remember <laughs> if you were um if you w- paul jewel do you know oh why jap oh that is the nadir of the oh, conversation hang on so paul jewel it makes it he makes a relevant point to paul jewel had, had a great kind of Career in the or, you know in, in in the lower leagues. Can Paul you just G- repeat that sentence I'll again? Start. I've never heard it before. That. Paul Jewell Paul Paul had a career. <laughs> Paul Jewell was he Neil did, Harris. He did with Wigan what Neil Harris yes, is doing with Elwood. Yes, you know, and there was exactly. this kind of the Paul Jewell for England. Paul Jewell should get a big job, and yeah. it turned out that Paul Jewell was what? What? Would you have put Paul Jewell in charge of Real Madrid? The probably the kit, yeah. <laughs> the club shop. And why was that? 
because he's a terrible manager. But, but he had tremendous success with Wigan in the lower leagues. Change. How can that possibly be true when we know that all the managers in the lower leagues would be I'm amazing? I'm not a manager, but I could maybe go into a club for one season and do quite well, and then people go, wait a minute, you're rubbish, and the team be absolutely awful. But the, point, is, the point is, so is that's, 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 yeah, the yeah. man, the moment, the club, the yeah, players, yeah. it all just yeah. clicked, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily make you a good manager in true. all circumstances. Yes, absolutely, yes. yes. As, so you, as yes. Paul Jewell proves, yes. in every other circumstance. <laughs> you, can be a re- you can be a really good manager... At, and we, there's lots of them. You can be a brilliant kind of adventurous manager in, in lead one mm. who plays great football with, who, get, who gets, really gets the best out of slightly lesser players. But then if you go to the, even the championship or the lower end of the Premier League with better quality players, you can't improve those players. Mm. So those players do not suddenly give you that sort of, they don't buy into your, your ideas. Mm. So it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. It, is, it is all about context, but we don't like that mm. because... We like to compare. Well, no, in the same way, as, so conspiracy theory is very popular now, you might have noticed. Uh, and that is because the world is a complicated place. And a conspiracy theory, although it sounds complicated, is very simple. Because it gives you someone to blame, someone to say that it is them, they are in charge of this, rather than, ah, this is all random chaos that none of us can control. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in football, that to say, well, it's all about context, is really, compli- is really unsatisfactory. Because if you think, as a supporter, we need the right players, the right manager, the right team, we need the other teams to be in, all the, in the exact right situation, we need everything to fall into place, and then we might win the league. That's not very... That doesn't give you any agency at all. It doesn't give you any satisfaction, any solace. If you think, we just need a brilliant manager, it does. It's, mm. it's the same line of thinking, except without the lizards. And, yeah. and he- uh, hence the cult of manager. Yeah. And that's how they've grown up to be these behemoths of uh, management. And the personality of that manager as well, being the right... You yeah, know, Neil absolutely. Harris is obviously the right personality of absolutely. manager for yeah. Millwall and their players, mm-hmm. Pep Guardiola. Overwhelmingly, we would agree, the right personality for for Manchester City and what they're trying to achieve and the players that they have spent huge sums of money on. Mm. And Zinedine Zidane is clearly absolutely perfect in terms of what he's achieved in the game, his status with the club already from what he he did there as a player to be the head coach of Real Madrid and to get the best out of those players mm. at this particular time. And crucially, this is the, other, the flip side, so ju- just because a manager works in one place isn't a guarantee they'll work in another. So he, it may well be that Guardiola wouldn't work in lead one because that he's not suited to it. But the, equally, the flip side doesn't hold true that Neil Harris would necessarily be brilliant in the Champions League oh, he's done yeah. well with Millwall. Mm-hmm. He might bomb with Scunthorpe in his next exactly, job. Exactly, yeah, yeah, you don't know. And the, the, and the other thing that's really important to remember is that because everything's dependent on context, just because a, ma- that a manager can simultaneously be good in one context and bad in another, and the best example of this was Roy Hodgson, to me, because Hodgson went to Liverpool having done really well with Fulham, fantastically well with Fulham, and then went on to do really well with West Brom, and until they played Iceland, not bad, not bad with England. And throughout it all, after he left Liverpool, there was this sort of sense of, well, Liverpool fans were ridiculous, they ruined it for Roy Hodgson, he's clearly a good manager. Roy Hodgson was an awful Liverpool manager. They mentioned it on TV during the, the last Merseyside derby, when they said the last time Everton beat Liverpool at Goodison was when Liverpool were 18th in the league, which was under Hodgson. Hmm. Liverpool were 18th in the league. Roy Hodgson was a terrible manager for Liverpool, but that doesn't mean he's not. He wasn't yeah. a good manager for yeah. West Brom. He, th- those things are both true, and too often, it's not that we want to compare. We like absolutes, I think, and you want you're either cast as good or bad, and that's it. Players can be good in one context and bad in another, in this, even in the same team, in the same league, 
and managers can simultaneously be good at their job and then bad at their job and then move on and be good again. It it's all because of context. Steve is a man of great wisdom. Well, yes, exactly. Just anybody who has a job that did the same job previously and wanted to leave it but didn't change their job and became so much more happy in the next position. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. You, yeah. It's completely well, based on context. We should send Hugh to Sky Sports News and watch him crash and burn. That'd be amazing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I'm rubbish, whatever the context. As a replacement for Natalie Sawyer. It would be pretty much a like-for-like. Like, Me, um, in a yellow dress, you have not seen nothing better. I would agree. Uh, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori What's a Soccer Story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details mm. removed. And from what I understand, Andrew, this is a contemporaneous tale. This is a super fresh story. Piping hot. And it involves royalty. No. Oh. I don't mean football royalty. I mean actual royalty. Every week we involve football royalty, Chinch, and that's because you're football royalty. Is, yeah. this, is this the one about when you licked Princess Michael of Kent? <laughs> no, I didn't. That's just a vicious rumour. Who, who handed the FA Cup to Dave Watson on the day of, day of days in 1995? Someone royal. Someone royal. Not, not the Queen. No, it was the Queen. The Queen doesn't do that, does she? She, she, she always used to. She used to. She doesn't anymore. Well, it's a long, long time ago. It would be the president, whoever was the head of the FA. Would Prince it, it Andrew? Might, might have been Prince, Prince Michael of Kent. I'd l- I'm going to find that out. Prince, let's Prince let's Andrew find was the, that the out. previous FA president before Prince William. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, mm. I think so. So anyway, I had two stories. One about Gerald Sibon, and one about His Royal Highness the Duke of Cambridge. And I've... I've steered away from the Dutch giraffe Do you, would and you gone like for the royalty. Kick what? that uh, can down the road until next week. Yes, I'm going to. There's a great. St- how Gerald Sibon nearly broke my leg, but not by kicking me. But anyway, <laughs> right. So this Jeez. is this is a huge championship uh, dog fight, Aston Villa against Cardiff. So Sky Sports, as they tend to do, is they cover a lot of championship football and they send along. Probably one of the best co-commentators in the biz, which is, Danny of course, Higgins. Danny Higgins. No, 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 no. It's myself. And Aston Villa, you must have been, have you seen the tunnel at Aston Villa? Yes. It's, yes. it's quite wide, isn't it? It's massive. It's a, it's a big area. It's, it's like a Premier League-sized yeah. you could, tunnel. You could drive a car down there. Comfortably. Com- oh, quite a big a car bus. as well. Quite Just a big car. Just to protect it from those yeah. And on the, as you go in, on the left-hand side, there's like the interview rooms. And then there's Steve Bruce, manager of Aston Villa, his office. And His Royal Highness, the Duke of Cambridge, is a big Villa fan, which I, I don't think fan. is right. The future King of England shouldn't have a team. He just should be football's fan, the game. fan. Yeah, I think it's wrong. Anyway, he's there at the game, and he was in the stands with John Carew. I, don't, I can't really get my head around that. Whether they're chums? I don't know. It's a bit of a weird one. Anyway, he comes down to be introduced Sidebar. to Steve Bruce. So we see... It's always here, he's here. Oh, oh. So he comes, he goes into the manager's office. He's there for a couple of minutes. So we're waiting for him to come out just so we can get a glimpse of him. So he comes out with Steve Bruce kind of arm around the shoulder, patting on the back saying, oh, yeah, thanks, HRH, and all that kind of stuff. So His Royal Highness walks away from Steve Bruce, and there's a lot of people in the tunnel wanting to see what was going on. And we're all stood there waiting for the interview. So I'm stood there. And I feel that His Royal Highness has, has distanced himself enough from Steve Bruce to shout so everyone could hear, is that the knighthood sorted then, Steve? <laughs> now... Everything seemed to go suddenly deathly quiet. I'm convinced (laughs) Prince William heard what I said, but probably doesn't listen to Sky Sports coverage, so didn't realise it was me, and he just carried on walking. But Steve Bruce turned around, and his face... He then felt the need to say, well, I've been in football quite a long time, and knighthood wouldn't be a bad thing. (laughs) But I think I really embarrassed him, and I didn't mean to, and he's a lovely man. He's a lovely man. And I just, was it the wrong thing to, it just felt right, it felt so right. (laughs) And yet, I feel so bad about it, but then I've got to go back and see, of course I'm going to see him again, what I've done, should I apologise? And say, 
did that offend you? Was that because I thought it was quite funny? Do you what, think it was Steve quite Bruce funny? Or to His Royal Highness? I don't know. I'm going to see Royal Highness again unless I get that knighthood to podcasting, which I deserve. <laughs> but you should, should, you, would no, you? No, no apologies. Just go up and say Sir Steve, and just call him Sir Steve for the rest yeah, of the time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and yeah. basically, you'll forget where the story came from, but you just call him Sir Steve. Yeah, he's got quite a misshapen face. It's hard to tell how he was feeling. But um, <laughs> don't put that in. Don't put that in. That's going in. Don't it's put a that bit in. Rich coming from YouTube. I, 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 you know, I say a lot of things, and I, I do. Believe they're Let funny in my own world. <laughs> First, uh, I, I don't know whether I felt really bad afterwards because I'd felt you, I'd upset a good man. You could have said worse stuff. There's there's a rule. There's a rule in public situations like that. If mm. you're telling a joke that only one person finds funny, it's really not worth telling. But everyone guffawed heartily. In that case, it was at worth your telling. embarrassment. No, Steve. It wasn't. It was Steve. The way he turned round and everyone thought, "Is that what you were doing?" That's what it was. It was as if I was highlighting something that had clearly was was, was on nefarious. the cards. Yeah. What, what did? Uh, what sort of security detail did our future? Leader, oh, that's have. interesting. Steve like, Bruce, <laughs> Steve Bruce had very little security. <laughs> Stephen Clements was close to him, but he's his, he's his assistant coach, so he would be. Um, HRH, uh, I call him HRH. Um, didn't see any high-powered rifles close by. If I'd have made a move on him, that'd have been a better. I should have made a move on him. That would have been a better a, conclusion. A romantic story. move, <laughs> not a romantic move. No, I should have. I should have clotheslined him just to see what happens. <laughs> Don't forget how you can get in touch at setpiece menu or setpiece menu at gmail.com. Please do subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory, and Andy, and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another setpiece menu for you to enjoy very soon. In Indeed. Everything comes back to Clough, doesn't it, all the time? It's always Clough this, Clough that. Is that bad? Is that a bad thing? He would, he, he would, it would be interesting to subject him to the same sort of rigor. But I, rigor. The, the problem I have is that all I remember is, is end Clough. I don't remember good Clough. I'm not I'm too you, young. You remember remember. Green, oh, no, he's Green Jumper uh, Clough for a long was, yeah. way. No, I remember uh, Red-Faced. Yeah. Red-Faced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Nottingham Forest getting relegated Clough. Yes. Well, that was not the whole no. story, was it? No, no, no. But he's the one you probably... Is there anybody else... In terms of personality and success, yeah, Fulsby, Shankly. Oh, yeah, there's quite a few, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Has anybody been yeah. good at managing quite old, quite 492? Good, <laughs> Herbert Chapman. Oh, yes. Yeah. 30s? 30s. Arsenal? Huddersfield, then Arsenal. Huddersfield, then Arsenal. Yeah. So this is, but you can't, you can't talk about them and no. talk about Pep, can you? No, they're not. They weren't under the same scrutiny. No, they, were, they weren't being gauged. They were under the same thing. But it's just there's a massive like cult of Clough in Britain that, that is quite overpowering even now. I wouldn't love to see though. There's so many books. Brian Clough's team play Guardiola's. No, do they get you? battered? Would they? <laughs> of course they would. Would they? Guardiola seems way fitter. Liverpool beat them, and also like what. Trevor Francis is, what, 58? <laughs> Not now, you, oh, you fool. Time machine. John Robertson up against... We get Raheem Sterling, John Stone, stick him in a time machine, travel back, play on with the horrible pitches they used to play. Oh, That'd be a leveller, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. I would fancy Clough's team to beat Guardiola's fancy pants team, knocking it about with tactics and all that caper. I, th- I feel as though allowing Chinch to contribute content has really liberated his, his imagination. I think that's a problem. That's why I said what I said to the HRH. I wouldn't have done it otherwise.